This is the Bema Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we look at the second letter to Thessalonica, learn about the man of lawlessness, and wrestle with the implications of this mysterious character. Yes, indeedy. Letter of Second Thessalonians may be even more of a stretch for me to talk about here on this podcast. These two letters are simply just, this is going to be, you know how every session has kind of like its, its lull? It's weak spot. It's, it's that. I even had one person write me once. And they probably listened to the podcast. That's okay. I love you. And they were like, uh, that lesson was a throwaway. Like that. No, that was that was garbage. Like I need you to. <laughs> it's back in session two with the prophets. And it's just like, well, I just don't have a bunch of material on that. I don't have like, like a whole bunch of things to blow your mind with. So this is definitely that spot. So if you're like, oh, that's a throwaway. We can't be experts on everything, we unfortunately. Can't. We just still so much to learn. There's still so much to learn. So we are. <laughs> but the Bema podcast is about stretching people and making people grow. So the fact that you're even here for this episode, Marty, is, is that's uh, right. part of our whole deal. That's right. Absolutely. Because uh, there's still so much to learn. Still work to be done. So these two letters are not my strong suit. I have not studied a bunch yet. I might change that in years to come. But so far, uh, I can say that the little work I've done uh, has brought to my attention that I am not a fan of Second Thessalonians. Like, uh, not at all. I, I find myself wondering about authorship. And I don't say that very quickly. I, I am not one, and you've been with me long enough to know this to be true, Brent. I am not one to question the canon. Um, I, there are lots of people who are like, well, the Apocrypha should be in the canon, and, and why are these books in the canon and those not? And people really want to get worked up about that stuff. I do not like to. Like, not that, the, not that you're not allowed to ask those questions, like ask them. I'm just fine with the canon. I, I have found the books in the canon are fine with me. Um, I hate that we rearranged the Old Testament. That's about the only qualm I have. Like, uh, it's not a big deal to me. Second Thessalonians would be like that one exception. I, I don't know if I found any other books, not Jude, not like there are some other books that people wrestle with. Martin Luther wrestled with James. But man, I, I, I don't know how I feel about Second Thessalonians. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's Pauline. I don't know if, I don't know if Paul wrote it. Ugh. Anyway, so I'm not one to question the canon. Scholarship is very divided on the authorship of Second Thessalonians specifically. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and scholarship's always going to argue about Paul's letters, but Second Thessalonians especially, very, very, very argued about. So I'm not one to question the canon. I accept the canon wholeheartedly. Uh, I, I don't like to question the stance of early Orthodox Christian community. But many uh, biblical teachers and early reformers had their questions about different books, and mine personally revolve around Second Thessalonians. I say this mainly because the Greek seems to be uh, distinctly unpauline to me. And I know that Paul's letters are probably all written by scribes. I get that. And, and I'm no Greek scholar. Uh, I've mentioned that before. I have this disdain for Greek. And again, well, we'll give a shout out to our buddy, Professor Vance Russell, and he can, maybe he, uh, if he, if he wants to write me about how to pronounce parousia, and if he wants to tell me uh, all the ways that I'm right or wrong about this assessment here, I'd love to hear from him. He can write me an email. If he agrees with me, you can be sure that I'm going to share it with all the listeners. If he disagrees with me, you can be sure that I'm not going to share anything. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great follow-up episode for sometime, sometime later. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but when I look at the Greek, and I'm no expert, but what I have looked at seems to be some of the messiest Greek I have ever seen in all the New Testament. Um, very uncharacteristic of Paul's letters, in my opinion. 
I'm not going to put myself up to be an expert, but it seems to spend an unusual amount of time trying to convince the reader of its Pauline authorship and rejection of any other letters they might have received. Like, don't pay attention to any other letters. I'm Paul. This is absolutely Paul. Like, why the over, like the heavy-handed overemphasis on that? I, I, now, please hear me. I am not telling you to throw Second Thessalonians out of your Bible. Please don't rip it out. That's not at all my point. I'm just being honest about some of the things that I've wrestled with personally. I'm fine. It's, it's still in my Bible. I'm still going to read it. And we're still going to do this podcast as if it's a part of the holy, inspired, infallible canon. I'm just inviting us to think critically. That's all. So it's great. Second Thessalonians, part of our New Testament. That is awesome. These topics are far above my pay grade. So far above my pay grade. So I will continue, as I always have, and uh, I foresee myself doing in the future, accepting the second letter to the Church of Thessalonica as a part of authoritative, God-breathed scripture. This short little discussion, it's not going to be a long one today, Brent. I'm trying to go slow and waste a bunch of time so that we can get like a 15-minute podcast. <laughs> oh, I can come up with questions if you need to fill time. I don't know if I want you to do about Second Thessalonians. Oh, man. Uh, this short little discussion today is going to revolve around what I see as one of the dominant pictures in the book of Second Thessalonians, and that is this picture of the man of lawlessness. For many, this passage has been a picture of what is often called the... Uh, uh, a picture of what's called the Antichrist, quote-unquote, capital A, which is usually depicted in some circles as an individual who arises at the end times, quote-unquote, to lead all kinds of folks astray. Yet this isn't at all how it would seem to read to its original audience. The description here in the Greek talks not about a particular individual, but the terms used are descriptive terms, descriptive terms, about the kind of man, qualitative, who will be at work in these last days. What the Jews would have called the Yacharik Hayamim. This term refers to an, an era of time, and we talked about this in past podcasts, Brent, about John the Baptist. We talked about two-part versus three-part eschatology, and there was this age, and then there was the age to come. And what did two-part eschatology believe, Brent? Can you remember? Uh, that there was a distinct age of, of man and a distinct age of God or, you know, eternal life or whatever. Yeah. An age that's kind of all screwed up and broken and then an age where everything's made right. And two-part eschatology said that the we're in this one and then Messiah or whoever is going to show up and bring in, usher in, kick out the old and usher in the new. But then there was three-part eschatology, and the big idea of that is these two ages are going to what, Brent? They'll overlap. The Messiah will come, and the the eternal age will begin, but the old age will slowly die out in the process, and eventually you'll be full-fledged uh, eternal life, but at you know there's this overlap, this transition period. Absolutely. So the Jews, uh, if I understand it correctly, that term would be acharik hayamim. This term referred to an era of time that they were currently living in, not a future dispensation of tribulation. The acharik hayamim was the era that preceded the restoration of all things, or what they would have called the age to come. Other descriptions of this would be olam chava, or eternal life. You may even remember us, uh, we talked about it in John the Baptist. The author of Second Thessalonians is warning them about the kind of individual they will run into in these last days. 
you might recognize his description as a familiar as something familiar to the opening chapter of Romans and we said Romans 1 was describing what kind of culture Brent Hellenistic Hellenistic absolutely I see these two ideas going hand in hand together here in uh, I see I see Paul in in second Thessalonians if it's Paul doing a very similar thing to what was what he was doing in Romans chapter 1 so how about you read us the passage we're actually even talking about here uh Brent and we'll We'll see what we hear as we listen to this. Is this about is this about one individual, like a person that's going to come in the future, like one one person, one futuristic character, or is this about a type of person? Is this a is this a representative of the type of person that's going to thrive in these last days of the of this worldly age? Go ahead and read it. All right, chapter two. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Right. So again, even though the Greek here is really messy, in my opinion, I don't believe it reads to be speaking about a particular individual. Uh, I mean, we see this all the time. I remember when Obama was elected years and years ago. I remember everybody coming out with all these internet memes of all the ways that he matched up to the characteristics of the Antichrist. And to be fair, I was on Twitter last week and saw somebody doing the same thing with Donald Trump. Like, here's the characteristics of the Antichrist. Tell me that Donald Trump doesn't match every single one of them. Is this about a person, some great leader who's going to lead the world astray? Or is this about a type of person? Is this a representative character that tells us about the type of people we want to be or don't want to be in this case. I mean, even if we did, even if we did want to read this in such a way that it was talking about a particular individual. So let's say Marty's wrong and let's say, no, no, no. This is talking about a man of lawlessness that will be revealed. There is no way that a contextual reading of this description doesn't immediately associate this description with who, Brent? One of the Caesars. The Caesar, right? This, This is what Caesar does. Like, there would be no reason to assume the text is speaking about a day many centuries in the future, thousands of years in the future, our day or some other future day. A, a true, honest rendering of this passage and within historical context. This is just, if it is talking about an individual, it's talking about Caesar. I don't even think it's talking about an individual. I don't think it's talking about Caesar. I think it's talking about, I think that it's talking about the kind of pagan identity, the kind of pagan lifestyle that thrives in these quote-unquote last days that they live in, in the Roman, the Greco-Roman world. I mean, it says just a couple of verses later, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Like yes. it's Rome, it's already there. Correct. Absolutely. I, I feel like the conversation here is very similar to everything else we've read and will read throughout the New Testament. An early church staring into the face of the Roman Empire and wondering who is going to win this epic struggle. Some of them have even feared that everything they have been waiting for has already come and gone to a whole new and a, and a whole new age is on the rise. But Paul reassures them that this is not the case. They know how the story ends. They know how to feel about the kind of humanity that would oppose the work of God and claim to be gods themselves. 
very Hellenistic, if I do say so myself. So Paul encourages them to continue the work they must do. He tells them to continue to stand firm and resist the temptation to fall into idleness. He calls them to pray and to be spiritually awake. You got one more passage for us, Brent? Let's finish it off with these words here. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Amen. I didn't quite waste enough time. We haven't hit the 15-minute mark yet. You got <laughs> okay. any of those good questions there in the hopper? Well, uh, so I did notice earlier when you were talking about uh, uh, Paul's uh, or the supposed Paul's earnestness about like, hey, don't forget, this is my letter. So like at the end, he says, I, Paul, write this in my own hand. It's like, okay, so far so good. He's yeah. done that before. Like, right. hey, this is my personal greeting to you or whatever. Uh-huh. Then it says, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. Right. Like, yep. hey, don't, don't, no, this is definitely me. This is for sure me. Absolutely me. Don't even forget about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then even the passage we read from chapter two that you read earlier, there's this, uh, you know, uh, don't let yourself become un- unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Like apparently there's all kinds of other letters. Make sure that you know that this is the right. It just seems a little overdone. Even for Paul, seems a little heavy-handed to me, but enough. I don't have to question its authority. It's it's in the Bible. I'm glad it is. Uh, yeah, the the dating of this could be very interesting. As far as uh, apparently scholars are kind of split on Correct. whether it was uh, early, like around 50 A.D., or if it's later, like 80 to 115. Yep. And uh, yeah, like before or after the fall of Jerusalem. Could have an effect here. I Absolutely. Don't know. Oh yeah. It's actually I've never really even considered that part of it, but you're you're right. And and the the scholarship surrounding First Thessalonians is a little bit more solid, as far as when they're trying to date things, authorship. Some of those conversations, it's not all over the map as much as it is with Second Thessalonians. I'm not saying it's totally solid. I'm just saying it's not as crazy all over as because you saw dates as late as like early second century for second Thessalonians. Right. Obviously it's way, it's definitely way later than Paul. So whatever, whatever we want to do with that. But first Thessalonians, a lot of people have it as a very, very early date. Some scholars, even before what we said was written first, which book was that? Galatians. Galatians. But we put a very early date on Galatians, somewhere in the late forties, in my opinion, not necessarily popular, popular, but there, I'm not the only one that thinks that. Where's Thessalonians at? Or Thessalonica, I guess. Thessalonica is like, uh, if you're looking at Greece on a map, it is kind of north, northeast of Greece. Pretty close to Philippi. It is. Did close Paul to actually visit Thessalonica at any point? That we know uh, he says he wants to, he longs to visit them. That's in First Thessalonians. Uh, does he talk about how he spent time with the Thessalonians? Boy, now I'm... Boy, now I really feel like a dummy. Growing and stretching right here, live on the podcast. Growing and stretching live on the BEMA podcast. Let's see, Thessalonians 2. Yeah, Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and had been treated. So yes, he's made it to Thessalonica. Uh, he's been there apparently, or or maybe he's using some kind of royal we, but it sure certainly appears that he had ministry there in Thessalonica. Hmm. 
which if it's an early writing is interesting because some people pin Thessalonica letter very early. And if that's true, he made it to Thessalonica. And I know there was a huge debate about how, how Paul's history worked, but that's a great question. Yeah. Half of the scholarship is, uh, putting it early fifties, like within a year or two of the first letter. Yep. All right. I think yeah. I'm out of questions. There you go. Well, you put us over the 15-minute mark. Still, so Still work. one of our shortest episodes. <laughs> we'll, we'll get on to the pastoral epistles next. We'll That'll be not, anxiously not await your emails telling us that this is our throwaway from yeah. session four. <laughs> there you go. Love it. All right. Well, if you have any questions about the show, go to BaymaDiscipleship.com. You can get in touch with us there. Thanks for joining us on the Baymaw Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah.